Welcome back to Star Wars Escape Pod and another episode of Rebels Talk, where we take you back, all the way back, to Star Wars Rebels and go through the series chronologically in order, leading you to Ahsoka. So if you're following along with us at home, you know to check the description of the podcast episode before you listen to the uh, the after show. And uh, those of you who have done so will know that we are reviewing Season 3, Episode 3, four, five, and six. Let's get into it. Another happy landing. Alright, here we go again. Season 3, Episode 3, The Holocrons of Fate. Here uh, we go! Well, yeah, that's right. What a way to kick things off with uh, Return of Darth Maul and uh, more more Ezra. <laughs> you don't sound too excited about that last part. <laughs> I, just, I was just trying to think, like, even though... Even though Ezra's older, right? Like there is just mm-hmm. something about New model. Yeah. yeah, there's just something about him still that that I remember when I watched the show for the first time quite a few years ago now. Uh it was it was one of those things that's just like, oh yeah, cool. Okay, he's older now. It's gonna be like less, you know, he's gonna be less stupid and all that stuff. <laughs> and then and then we got to a moment in one of these episodes here. And I was just like, dude, like, what the heck is going on here? And I think it was actually, you know what? Maybe maybe I'm saying this all a bit early. I think it may even be uh, episode six, which. Uh, oh, man. The last that far. The last battle. Is yeah, that- I think that might be uh, something to bring up in Rebels Talk episode uh, episode 13. But, you know, it's just one of the. It was just- uh, that might be here, right? Because I think as we're doing it four, we're in two, so we're doing. We're doing three, four, five, and six. So, oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It'll be the last yeah. one we talk about. Okay, so I'm not getting there too far ahead of myself here. Okay, I was wondering you're if I lost clear. count. Okay, good, good. <laughs> but anyways, just like just a little bit of a little bit of a sneak peek as to my feelings uh, about one of these episodes. But um, anyways, let's get, <laughs> let's get into this uh, season three, episode three, the Holocrons of Fate. Before, oh, uh, sorry, actually, before we get into this, um, you know, of course, we got to mention our orbit key giveaway winner oh yeah yeah uh so uh, so that we didn't run into the same delayed mistake as last time <laughs> I, uh, that was my favorite episode though <laughs> it's kind of a it's kind of a funny ordeal um but it, yeah okay so <laughs> um 
just so that you know no no drum roll this time or whatever the suspense is out i already announced the name uh but you know verbal uh congratulations to alex mckay uh, Alex McKay is our winner for the Orbit Key Star Wars Retro Series giveaway that we ran over the last uh, 20-something, 30 days, however long it was. Hello it there. Blue by, hello there, yes. And uh, thank you, Alex. I mean, Alex is a uh, listener to the podcast uh, as I was uh, chatting with him on, on Twitter just to get his details for the shipment and all that stuff. Uh, he uh, said a, a you know, big thank you to Kirk, our friend Kirk, and, uh, and to Orbit Key as well. And uh, you just seem kind of familiar with with the, with the show, so you know I was I was kind of happy that um, you know our winner ended up being a you know audience an, member, an avid listener. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Much better so, than uh, quarter one of us, seeing as we entered the contest too. <laughs> <Did you>? <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> just to get our uh, just to get our vote count up there, right? Like the entries, just to yeah, make that, it. Yeah, that's that's why. Yeah, that's and then didn't enter under a suitor number, nothing. Right. Right. Huh. Yeah. Well, Alex McKay, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks again for for your participation. Thank you to everyone who participated. And Alex, you'll be receiving your X-Wing, your chosen X-Wing Star Wars Orbit Key Retro Series in the mail at some point in the next uh, in the next few weeks. So um, you can have got something to look forward to. And uh, that being said, which one did he pick? Which one did he pick? The X-Wing. Oh, yeah. I think that was my favorite too. I think the Death Star was cool too, but yeah, doing that next wing, I'd say the flashy, the flashy orange one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, uh, let's um, let's kick, let's get right into this, uh, shall we? Uh, season three, episode three, the Holocrons of Fate, directed by Stuart Lee, written by Henry Gilroy, premiered October first, twenty sixteen, on Disney XD. And I have a very brief mention. Uh, the last episode that we talked about in the previous Rebels part, which was the premiere of season three, episode one and two, uh, I actually got the premiere date incorrect, uh, only because of all my crazy copying, pasting of details, all of which, you know, we're in season three now. There's a lot of stuff. So, uh, so does someone call me out? Start, yeah, it's all starting to blend together in my head. But uh, those episodes, for those of you who may have just finished that episode of the podcast, uh, those came out on July 16th, 2016, premiering at Celebration Europe and uh, then later premiered on Disney XD on September 24th. So uh, only a week after, of course, comes this episode, episode three, premiering October 1st, 2016 on Disney XD. Guest stars Tom Baker and Sam Witwer. And, um, you know, before we uh, listen to the Rebels talk, I'm just pulling it up here. Is there anything just off the top of your head you want to say about this one? I was not expecting Darth Maul to be back immediately in the following episode after the, the season launch double special. The season, oh, yeah, yeah, that came up really, really fast, didn't it? Oh, no, oh, sorry, the it was a finale of season two, yeah, so the finale of season two, and then we basically had there's a two episode gap, right? And just right back to another Darth Maul story. So they were they're were itching to bring him back around again, really letting the audience know, I guess, he's gonna be a returning character, yeah. 
What's up, Rebels fans? Andy from StarWars.com coming to you live to tape from the Lucasfilm headquarters. This week on Rebels, we saw exactly why Maul is still a force to be reckoned with, the dangers of mixing Jedi and Sith holocrons, and more of those awful, disgusting spiders. So sit back and don't look straight into the light. Rebels Recon starts right now. With the crew taken hostage by Maul, Kanan and Ezra agree to give him the holocrons in exchange for their friends. I shall be in touch with coordinates for a rendezvous. Seeking the Sith holocron, Ezra and Kanan contact Bendu, who warns of the danger in combining the holocrons. Once a secret is known, it cannot be unknown. But after Kanan manages to free the rebels, Ezra helps Maul combine the holocrons, revealing potentially dangerous secrets. I see him. Twin sons. This week we saw the return of Darth Maul, as well as a look at how the events of Season 2 changed the relationship between Kanan and Ezra. I sat down with cast and crew to talk about these changes our Jedi are experiencing and how Maul will play into their future. Watch. There's a lot of discussion going on about the balance in Ezra and Kanan's relationship being off. What was the state of their relationship going into this episode and how has it changed after? We're still going to be dealing with the fallout from the season two finale for a while. It's not something you could easily forget. And even though we advanced the timeline like by upwards of six months when we started season three, so much happened at the end of season two that that's going to take a while to, to settle. Ezra feels responsible for what happened to his master. And early in the episode, if you notice, Ezra's trying to be protective of him because he already blinded his master in his opinion. So once they get down in the tunnels together in this dark place, Ezra is surprised that Kanan came down there and he realizes, oh, he's not hurt. He's not as damaged as he thought he was. They both have to admit to their own faults and, and forgive. And forgiving is such a difficult thing for people. I don't know why. Admitting you're wrong is such a difficult thing because when you don't and fear takes you, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate. And we see this on a daily basis right now. How can Ezra help Kanan get back some of what he lost? He can continue to grow and listen and show respect for Kanan and enable him by showing him like, look, even though you can't see, I will burden more of the responsibility. And he does. So through season three, we see Ezra grow so much because now he is kind of the de facto leader of the group on missions. We've seen other characters get tempted by the dark side many times. How does Ezra handle this differently? Ezra has a very strong family support system going for him. So even though he can be tempted by the power and wanting to use it to protect his family, he's got loving people around him who care about him. I've always felt that one of Anakin's downfalls, like it's never that Anakin was innately going to be evil, but the people around him, the Jedi, in their lack of compassion and being so selfless that they almost forgot to care. Beyond temptation, I think he's also figuring out an angle. That's risky because you can't really game the dark side. But at the same time, I think that gives him a sense of alertness. At least he has the ability to see through Maul's attempts of temptation. Like he knows to the degree that he can't trust Maul. But what he does with that, I mean, that, that's that's what makes him Ezra. Darth Maul is back. How does Kanan handle him differently this time? There's a lot of anger there on, on Kanan's part, obviously. There is no way that trust is on the table. If Maul is a part of that equation, Kanan would want to be the closest one to him. He is not going to 
let him out of his force-like sight. When we last saw Maul, he had been trapped on Malachor for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Now that he's escaped, what do you think is on his agenda? His victory last season was he got off the planets, the key to everything for him. So now he is spinning his little web and starting to make his connections. He's got a game plan and he's got stuff that he just can't let go of. He has lots of secrets buried in, in strategic places and he's going to start uncovering some of those things as he gets to his ultimate end goal. Maul, I think, is still convinced that he can turn Ezra to be his apprentice. As long as he can dangle the carrot of, I can help you destroy the Sith, there's a chance he can get Ezra to fight alongside of him. Maul talks about what he's wanting, and he's wanting hope. What does that mean to someone like Maul? He's not interested about living forever. I think he's been denied death one too many times, and he realizes that's got limited appeal, so he needs someone else to embody that legacy. Maul actually isn't trying to be a Sith. He's trying to be something else, something that he's creating, and many people have tried that over the years, and it hasn't worked out, so we'll see how it works out for him. All right, so there we go. Rebels Recon, everybody. Um, what'd you think of that? So, there's some inter interesting stuff in there. Uh, Dave specifically said... Maul's Maul was succeeded last season because his goal was to just get off planet. So it makes me wonder how long was he trapped there? Oh yeah, yeah. I well, okay. So so this is this is this kind of intrigued me because when we were talking about this particular story arc last episode, um, it was just one of those things that I questioned. You know, why did why did Yoda give them the advice to go to Malachor, right? Mm -hmm. And I think there's a bit of a truth here when it comes to how they asked for a chance to destroy the Sith and they, they failed, right? And Yoda's advice to go to Malachor is perhaps that that's what they want, right? And so, you know, they asked for a chance to destroy the Sith. That's the opportunity that presented themselves. That's, that's what Yoda maybe sensed was an opportunity to do so. And, um, Maybe it was bad advice, you know, because maybe they were just, they were totally unprepared, right? Um, Kanan says that, you know, he's like, hey, we failed. We asked for a chance to destroy the Sith and we failed. And um, that sort of answers my big question, I think, you know, as far as how did Yoda know or like, why would he give them that advice if it was so bad, if he knew maybe it, bad things would happen? Uh, you know, we theorized about that a little bit. But yeah, maybe it's just as simple as, oh, well, he knows that Maul is there. And I don't know how long he's been there. Uh, I, I find that hard to believe that Yoda would send them towards Maul after everything he knows about him. Yeah, I, yeah, it is weird, right? Um, maybe he didn't know his Maul. Maybe he just sensed a Sith-like presence on the planet and just thought, well, these guys are asking to fight a Sith, you know, and is very short words. He just kind of gives them, them the idea that that's where they should be to do so. But at least the Yoda that we know, he would probably be a bit more reserved and a bit more cautious as before sending out somebody to, you know, to face such an evil, right? Like the way that he says that Luke's not ready and um, how, you know, how that turns out. Oh, <laughs> right? oh. Well, it's because it backfires. Every time you try to help, he accidentally screws it up, sending these guys to start small Malachor. Yeah. So, no, it's running Luke. He doesn't want to try anymore. He's yeah. going to make it worse. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So, this episode of Holocrons of Fate, um, you know, something I really liked about Ben Do, something he says was 
once a prophecy is known, it cannot be unknown. And I thought to myself, perhaps... Oh, I Googled it. It's on, so it's actually on Wikipedia. Is it? So Yoda didn't send Ezra to Malachor in order to aid their fight against the Inquisitors, but rather to warn him by showing him where the path of aggression leads. Oh. So he sent them there. I guess, so it was more... He didn't know Maul was there. He didn't know even that the Inquisitors were there. It seems like they were trying to send Ezra and the crew of the Ghost there to see all the, the Jedi and the Sith and all, all, the, all, all the remains. Everyone that, that died there. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's certainly, um, certainly one way to put it, for sure. That's, and that sounds a bit more Yoda-like to me, yeah. Um, I like the, uh, the, what Bendu says, you know, what, what, a, when a prophecy is known, it cannot be unknown. That was, uh, that was a, a cool quote that stood out to me. And what really connected with that was, was, uh, was Qui-Gon, you know, uh, something that was discovered about oh, him yeah. in the master and apprentice book was that his, like he, he comes from a line of, of Jedis who, who have kind of been infatuated by prophecies and, exploring sort of that unknown side of the force and uh this has to do with tyrannus with with dooku with uh Sifo-Dyas and uh with Sifo-Dyas's master and uh i thought i thought the whole thing was was very well translated because the idea of the chosen one gives qui-gon so much hope and so much uh belief in that it exists that he is it's his dying wish that Obi-Wan trains the boy, even though the council senses that there's some danger in that. It's mm. his dying wish that that's, that's made a reality because he believes so wholeheartedly that there is a prophecy that, that this, is, this needs, to, needs to happen, right? And uh, in a way, you know, taking on Anakin and, and this and that, I mean, it's led to some pretty bad things, but I mean, one can only wonder what would have happened to Qui-Gon if, if events had transpired differently. Maybe if he hadn't lingered around on Tatooine to save Anakin and, you know, maybe run-ins with Maul would have been different. Who knows, right? Maybe he wouldn't have died. And uh, it's just one of those things. I was like, you know what? I guess knowing something so powerful is not always the best thing. You know, it's just... It was just a word of wisdom from Bendu that I was like, yeah, he's got a point. He's got a point. Maybe there's some things that just aren't meant to be known by, by these powerful beings in the galaxy. They're still mortals. You know, they're still so, not meant to know absolutely everything. So what you're saying is ignorance is bliss. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, in a way. I mean, <laughs> in a way. just don't learn anything... And just keep life really simple. Just keep your head down. It'll all go smoothly. And you can just float through life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, these words I once heard. Never try, never fail. <laughs> Vizla Keep 09. Uh, the location that they meet Maul at which is, uh, it turns out it's Vizla Keep 09, also referred to as the Mandalorian Asteroid Outpost, was a supply outpost operated in the rings of Felbos in the, in the Bright Jewel system during the Clone Wars. Um, Maul 
leader of the Death Watch took Count Dooku there and General Grievous there once upon a time during the Clone Wars when he had captured them both uh, during the Battle of Ord Mantell. And uh, the, the Jedi Order and the Republic had tracked them there and the Shadow Collective to that outpost. And there was a big assault that happened, big battle that happened on there. And uh, a bunch of, you know, one of the Jedis died and, um, you know, it was a very tragic sort of, sort of thing. And, and, and people got away. And, and that's, that's this kind of space station amongst uh, the asteroids that we're talking about? Yes. Yeah. The, so where they meet Darth, where they meet Maul in this episode, mm-hmm. that big asteroid ring. Uh, so that, that hangar bay and that whole base that was built into the asteroid, that's, a, that's, that's called Vizsla Keep 09. Vizsla named after the Vizsla clan on yeah. uh, in Mandalore and and uh that was a um a, a focal point during the the clone wars and if you if you're wondering oh I've seen the whole clone wars where is that story um uh, it probably means you haven't actually finished the clone wars which is um by reading the Darth Maul son of Dathomir comic book or um the uh, adapted episodes oh. in the in the um, dark disciple novel um okay. And I'm just telling, I'm just saying that for anybody listening uh, right now, if you haven't read those two things, definitely or, pick those up. Or even just a reminder, because I've read both of those things, but I did not realize that was the same place. Yeah, like, yeah. Those, those books yeah. in the comics came like 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah, so that's the same place. Um, and, you know, like in classic Rebels fashion to kind of pick all these little niche Clone Wars locations that we didn't really get to see in the final seasons at the time, right? Um, Maybe they were already working on it, and Dave's like, well, we already have the model. Yeah, that's exactly what he's like. Well, it already exists in a story somewhere. Let's just reuse it. You know, so fans get to see There we go. Yeah. Uh, Darth Maul just slyly killing everybody. He's such a fox. I mean, like this guy, right? You know, like (laughs) acts all friendly-like. He's like, might I have a word with your master? And he like takes him into the airlock. This poor blind guy is oh, like, yeah, if you, if you fail once, oh, try and try no, again. Yeah. He's like, see a sucker, pushes the button, you know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I just thought it was just kind of funny the, the entire time. Worse all the time. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, he's like, yes, hello, Ezra. And then he whispers to his joint, oh, kill the prisoners. All right, let's get on with business, yeah. shall we? <laughs> it just felt like he was... Uh, He's being such a fox this entire time, you know, just oh classic, gosh. classic. Um, what I thought was very curious about his character in this episode was that it's revealed to us that Maul seeks hope beyond anything else. That's what he wants from the holocrons. He wants hope. And it was such a curious request for an ex-Sith Lord to want hope, right? It's like, what does that look like for a villain to want hope? Like, what is, I didn't even know that villains villains had hope you know like like what is hope to them right <laughs> i to me it felt like he no longer had a goal so he felt like he could achieve or like anything to to drive him so he's looking for the next thing to strive for right whereas like you know like i think that might be a big difference between a jedi and a sith it's like a jedi you know if everything is really peaceful and going well they're probably in a good place and just gonna chill and meditate and whatever mm-hmm. but a sith needs to be driving for something right yeah yeah that like driven by uh power or like yeah yeah 
Yeah, and he's Probably kind of in a weird spot because he's, uh, yeah, because because he, he's he's really in a weird spot because he's not a Sith Lord anymore, but he's still driven by revenge, and mm-hmm. you know it's 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 just kind of a weird word to throw around when we're talking about sort of the king of all revenge, which is Darth Maul himself. You know, that's pretty much what he lives for. That's how he survived in the first place, and he wants hope. It's like, what does he want hope for? You know, I was just like, it made me think. I was like, does he want, does he hope to see, you know, the Jedi and the Sith all burn someday? Like, like, I really don't understand. I think the issue is he's at a point where he, he knows he can't overthrow like Palpatine and the Jedi are really all gone. Mm -hmm. So like all, all the things he wanted to do are no longer doable. So he doesn't know what else to do. Right. What is revealed to him in the holocron is kind of surprising. Something we'll talk about much later in the series. But um, for those of you who might already know, maybe, you know, maybe we'll, we'll keep it under our belt for now. But uh, it is it is kind of kind of funny to see him, you know, talking to himself, running out of the room going, he lives, he lives. <laughs> so we should probably quote that. Yeah. Um, it was really good, though. It was feeling seeing him get so much more like reinvigorated. Definitely, so, definitely. It it was we've known him for so long. You can't help, even though he like he's pretty, he's a bad guy. Yeah, but you can't help but feel feel bad for him when he just he seems so lost and helpless. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. You almost kind of feel bad for him in a way. Absolutely. Um, Ezra's vision isn't sure. He's not sure what his vision means but uh he isn't even sure that his vision is his own vision it might be maul's vision because things got a little clouded in there you know as they're both looking into the same the same uh well the same sort of experience right the same uh, uh, i would say it's like a yeah, vision to the future or whatever yeah and what was interesting to me is that you know maul seeks hope but ezra seeks uh, oh, uh, an answer to destroying the Sith, right? Yeah. And in a way, they're both looking for the same thing. It's uh, funny how, yeah, I, was, I always wondered this. Is it showing one vision to both of them that answers both things, or is it just a coincidence? I think it is. I think it's showing, I think it's showing them both the, the hints of the beginnings of the hope, right? So, so we know an, A New Hope, you know, uh, the film starts with um you know a very select key group of characters in the desert and i think you know between what ezra saw which was twin sons and you know maul's jumping joy for excitement running out of the room saying he lives um they're they're both connected to the same story and they're both connected to the same answer which is you know the key to destroying the sith is that it's it's hope itself that restores the answer and um you know i think it was a which the answer being redemption for for vader and i think like that was sort of a, an interesting thing as they were both sitting opposite of each other with different requests but also seeking sort of the same long-term um sort of general concept right and even though they were they were sitting across from each other I thought it was kind of interesting that they both saw different perspectives of the same answer. 
I thought that was a very good way to tell the story. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. It's, good, it's interesting because I... Uh, does Maul... No, Maul leaves. Oh, but he... I think he hears Ezra, right? He overhears Ezra say, Twin sons! Yeah. Yeah, he does. So, he, yeah. He, so they both know what the other person was seeing. <laughs> I can I can just imagine that that scene going very differently as Kanan's like trying to find Ezra in the in the bright bright room. You know, meanwhile Ezra's like twin sons and Kanan in the background instead of what he was saying like look away. He was saying look away. Instead, I can just imagine that like Ezra, don't tell him all what you're knowing. <laughs> Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> you're telling him the answers. <laughs> Don't reveal your cards. <laughs> <laughs> if only, probably would have, you know, saved Maul's life at least. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Oh my gosh. All right, I Pablo. Have a few questions around this, though. Yeah, sure. So, uh, I'll go with the vision side of it first. So, this came out before Rise of Skywalker. So, does that mean the vision of seeing the way to destroy the Sith being what's leading to what seems to be Luke? Does that make it no longer... I mean, it doesn't mean they failed because Palpatine lived? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I hate to hate to take a massive steaming dump on the sequels again, but, I mean, it just it's just one of those things that complicates those kind of questions, right? Because because they they changed it from Vader being yeah the, like the the, the answer one, I guess. the answer that I would give is Anakin is forever and always the chosen one. I think the new answer is now there's a second chosen one. Ray or, is the chosen two. Yeah, or maybe or maybe Ray is just the. The one to <laughs> that from now on, Anakin. When we say the chosen one, we mean Anakin, and we say the chosen two, we mean Ray. <laughs> the chosen second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The chosen two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just one of those things, right? Like, like, like George Lucas has stated it. Anakin is the chosen one. You know, and and I feel like every other Star Wars story in the book has lived up to honoring that that story, right? Right. And if we consider the sequels sequels at all, we consider them continuities of that story. And, you know, they shouldn't be changing anything. So what those movies are doing is recreating the same story over again with the same idea. And it makes it all that more confusing because now this thousands of years worth of prophecy leading up to this balance of the force only took... 30 years to unbalance and get rebalanced again by, you know, some random chick from the desert. And it's like, dude, like I, you know, and that's why I have such a big problem with that movie and, and with that entire trilogy in general, because it's just so incredibly dishonoring of, of the original star Wars stories, you know, and that's pretty much where I leave the answer, but. um, So I will take it as it was giving the answer of what what could have destroyed the Sith, but they failed. I guess they weren't able to live up to the uh, the chance that they were given. Yeah, what you you mean? Uh, the vision. The vision, right? Well, I guess yeah. I guess the vision is just paying tribute to to Anakin's prophecy rather than rather than uh, 
what comes later, the right? The final destination. Yeah. yeah, the final, the final destination. Yeah, the unspoken final destination. <laughs> uh, Epilogue. All right, I got, I got a second thing for you. Yeah. So to get this vision, you have to combine a Sith holocron and a Jedi holocron. Yeah. Who the crap came up with that? Ah, oh, man, I. I don't know. I mean, I think it really plays into that balance of the force sort of idea that's been going on the last couple episodes now. But okay. it's really kind of um, odd that they would be made to be compatible like that. Yeah, that's that's the thing for me because yeah, the balancing makes sense what you're saying, but that would mean that whoever designed the Jedi holocron also designed the Sith holocron with the intent of this happening. Yeah. So then, are the Sith holocrons not made by Sith? The Jedi holocrons aren't made by Jedi. Yeah, I, is it one group that makes both? Like, I, I have no idea. I, it, you know, it might also just be some weird Force stuff again. Like the Force is combining the two, you know, right, right there in front of them, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And and you know, the original Sith were Jedi, right? They like left the Order. So if holocrons were already around. Then they would have they would have the same knowledge of how to make them, but I would question how they would come up with this putting them together idea. Because yeah, I don't know. I, I'm up with a lot of questions that I feel like only a handful of people can answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is it is kind of kind of an odd thing to. I don't know. I don't know. Um, all right, Pablo points of Pudus. Let's uh, let's get this ball rolling here. Um, Break it down. 1.25 Pablo points. And 1.25 out of, out of 10, is it, Josh? Is this oh, out boy. of 10? Yeah, okay. So for those of you who don't know, this is a, <laughs> a scale of 7 uh, Pablo points of Pudus. 3 Pablo Pudus being the absolute worst of the worst. Moving up from there, you got 2 Pablo Pudus and the 1 Pablo Pudu. Bendu. Bendu is right in the middle. It's 50%. And then you got one, two, three Pablo points, three being the absolute best of the best of the best. And uh, I'm going to slap a 1.25 on this. It's just, I don't know. It's all right. It's, t- it's a tough one because it's got good characters. I like the overall idea of what's happening in this episode. But yeah. as we discussed now, it has some glaring issues. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and I think those issues can definitely be I mean, any any kind of prophecy sort of stuff, I think, can be pinned on the failure of the sequels. But, you know, as far as the as far as what it was trying to do at the time, when, timing, when those timing is yeah, when those was, movies didn't exist. Exactly. This is before Last Jedi is before Last Jedi. So so where the, the sharp turn in the road started going on, like, you know, that was this this came first. So I think I don't think it's this episode's fault necessarily that. It tried to do some things that ended up not quite paying off as they expected, but you know, I just um, it was just it was okay, like it was it was all right. Yeah, I like Maul coming back again. I I, I, I like that he, he's still a jerk. Well, something we didn't talk about very briefly because um, I know we're thirty five minutes in. I don't want to spend all our time on this one, but um, I really like the the test that Bendu put. Kanan and 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 Ezra through that was something that they didn't talk about in the Rebels recon, oh, and that's right. um, With the, sp- the Krykna, yeah, the Krykna spiders, and I just I liked how his entire test was really to 
find a balance point between master and apprentice. And his way of doing things is definitely sort of different than, you know, perhaps some Jedi masters would, would approach the situation, but it really gets the message across. And I think for an, a sort of unlikely duo like Kanan and Ezra, uh, they have a different relationship than Obi-Wan and Anakin. They're also sort of the unlikely sort of odd duo, but, um, but they work right. And, and uh, in a, in a sort of interesting kind of unique sense and uh, you know, his sort of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, it's not, not quite normal. His um, yeah, just his way of putting them through the, through the motions was, was, uh, was interesting. You know, how Ezra kind of learned to just deal with the spiders by Kanan taking his lightsaber away and him saying he's, like, he well, basically was like forced to do it. Yeah. It yeah. He's like, sometimes he's got to learn how to solve situations without his lightsaber, you know? Um, all right. Season three, episode four, the Antilles. Wait, what, what did you give this a grade? Oh, uh, I'll give it one and a half. I get a little more than you, but it had some pretty big issues. I, I'm, I question if I should even do that, to be honest. Yeah. All right, cool. Moving on. Season three, episode four, the Antilles extraction directed by Saul Ruiz, written by Gary Whitta, released October 8, 2016 on Disney XD guest stars, Corey Burton, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, Trevor Duvall, Mario Vernaza, and Nathan Cress. And uh, this is, this was an interesting episode. I don't really have much to say about it, but let's quickly uh, give the Rebels Recon a, a listen to, and uh, we'll talk, go from there. What's up, Rebels fans? It's your old pal, Andy Gutierrez, walking and talking to you from Lucasfilm headquarters. This week, we saw Sabine infiltrate the Sky Strike Academy to recruit a certain pilot for the Rebellion, and now I'm here to show you how it all came together. This is Rebels Recon. After an Imperial ambush on a supply transport, the Ghost crew gets word that there are sympathetic cadets at an elite flight academy. The mission is yours, Sabine. We've arranged to insert you into a squad of new cadets headed for Skystrike. While undercover, Sabine identifies the pilots and makes plans to extract them for the Rebellion. My real name is Sabine Wren. I was sent in to get you out. With the help of an unlikely ally, Sabine, Wedge, and Hobby narrowly escape, adding two talented pilots to the Rebels' growing ranks. Welcome to the Rebellion. This week, we got to see a little bit of Wedge Antilles' origin story and a peek at what Imperial pilots go through during training. I sat down with the crew to talk about Wedge, the function of Sky Strike Academy, and how Biggs nearly appeared in this episode. Check it out. Wedge and Hobby make their first pre-A New Hope appearance mm -hmm. in the Antilles extraction. What made you choose these pilots for this episode? Wedge, while he is a prominent pilot in the original trilogy, you really don't get any backstory. You don't know right. anything about him. So we thought it'd be really great to say, hey, here's how this character came to be involved in the rebellion. We also leaned into some of the old legends history that said that Hobby was also someone who defected from the Empire. Hobby, who we see briefly in The Empire Strikes Back, seemed like a named character that we could put in that situation. What was fun was that putting Wedge and Hobby on screen worked really well. I thought Sabine rescuing them was a really good play. Like, she finds them entertaining. To be honest with you though, 
Everybody really wanted Biggs. Carrie Beck really wanted this Biggs-Sabine situation to kind of take root. In season one, Sabine had a checkerboard pattern on her armor, and Biggs has a checkerboard pattern on his helmet, and we had thought, wow, what if she's the one who painted that on his helmet? Oh, that's a fun detail. Yeah, and so we started conspiring. How can we get Sabine and Biggs to cross paths? But there wasn't enough of a story there for us to continue down that thread. What's the function of Sky Strike Academy? Is this like the top gun of the Empire, or is it just, you know, one of many flight schools? I think it's the top gun of the Empire. In our mind, anyway, we wanted to show that there's a wide range of Imperial facilities. And obviously, the way the Empire goes about creating their armada is numbers, sheer numbers. Mm -hmm. If there's any indication that there is an Imperial that is considering defense, from the best of the best, then you're gonna do whatever you can to facilitate that and getting Fulcrum into that situation. It emphasized the urgency of it all. It's not just you're getting a washout pilot, you're getting, you know, the top dogs. I think the Empire's interested in volume. They want you to follow orders and report in. And that's kind of what the rub that Wedge and Hobby have is that, like, this isn't what we signed up for. Like, we thought we were gonna be pilots and we're just cogs in the machine here mm -hmm. and we're killing indiscriminately. And we thought we were serving the Empire, like, doing good for everyone and we're clearly not. They're really trying to break your morality in these places and just have you be weapons. Can you elaborate on how this academy might be similar or different to the one that Sabine was in before her time with the Rebels? It's more specifically a flight academy, mm -hmm. whereas I don't think Sabine specifically went to a flight academy. She was probably in the MIT on Mandalore. Mm, okay. So if you think about it, she's like the smartest of the smart, working on advanced weapons, so she's definitely in another class. So for her to actually excel at this academy would be no big deal. The Mandalorian government and the Imperial government are kind of together on this and they are taking these super warrior kids like Sabine and milking them for all of their knowledge that they can. There's actually a much more insidious plot there that we're going to find out a little bit more about in season three. All right. So uh, what do we learn from that? A few things. Yeah, there's a few neat things in there for sure. I know. Well, did you, did, did you expect them to do wedge that was that was news to me that was interesting um i gotta say like wedge is you know most people recognize oh, so, him from sorry that's not what i meant i didn't mean wedge i meant um oh, well they said they're gonna have another character in there I'm on, it's uh, it's luke's buddy from from uh tatooine right yeah uh yeah wedge bigs bigs oh bigs dark letter yeah Wait, he was... No, he wasn't in there. I don't know why. I think for some reason they said Wedge. I started thinking about Biggs. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. This is Wedge Antilles. Yeah, that's <laughs> the, the Antilles extraction. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, Big, Biggs is... Yeah, I don't... He's not in this episode. But, yeah, Wedge Wedge is um, the most recognizable from, from the trench run. He's one of the surviving pilots who goes up against the Death Star and... Um, you know, I forget, I forget. Did he, did he survive that? I think he did, right? Yep, he survives that. And then he, he's all, he is one of the, the leaders, I think, in the, the battle of the second Death Star in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. So, uh, something, something that, so I took a quick Google on, uh, Wedge, uh, and I realized that, um, 
uh, something that just really really caught my eye here and i want to share with you so in the star wars galaxy would you expect there to be a lot of different names like across like there's like trillions and trillions of people right yeah so get this the last name Antilles, the wedge Antilles. So there's like, like basically like half the cast has a last name Antilles. Yeah, I know, I know. It's it's <laughs> it, it, it's so it's so ridiculous because I think I think maybe it just might be like a like oh someone needs a last name like let's just like just Antilles. Yeah, Antilles in the Star Wars universe is like a very common. It's like Smith. Like Smith. Yeah. Okay, I was wondering that because. On Alderaan, there's a Bale Antilles, who's a senator. So that means the two senators of Alderaan are Bale Antilles and Bale Organa. Yeah. They're both named Bale. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. What is this? It, it's a and little then, ridiculous. But I don't know. It's and, like then, and then in A New Hope, you open up to Tanta 4 with Captain Antilles. His first name is Rhymus. Rhymus Antilles. And then you end the space battle with Wedge Antilles. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, uh, thanks George. Thanks George. Um, something about this episode is Ahsoka has revealed that she's not the only fulcrum out there. She's part. She's one of one of many fulcrums in a network of fulcrums. Damn. Fulcrum being the spy network and fulcrum. The name itself didn't show up at all in Andor because I think it's that's a little too early in in the time frame. But it would be interesting if they threw that term around in season two of Andor. And I think that would be a cool continuity thing. Would you say? Oh yeah. Tie it all together. Like that'd be cool. Yeah. Um, cause at this point, season two of Andor would, would have and, happened and overlapping. Star Wars rebels. Yeah, it would be, it would be kind of around the same timeline here. So then they would, yeah, it would make sense then to hear a little bit of overlap in terms of, of, Hmm. You know, Maybe it's like a an Easter egg sort of thing, because if we're picking up where season one ended, then we're still just looking at one small cell. That's the only thing, right? So right. it's pretty, pretty isolated from the rest of the rebellion. But if it is closer to this timeline, it seems like the rebellion, all the cells are kind of coming together. Yeah. So just so everyone is aware, quickly looked up the definition of fulcrum because it seems like a very specific word. Uh, it the definition is a thing that plays a central or a central essential role in an activity, event, or situation. Research is the fulcrum of the academic community. That's an example. Hmm. Right, there you go. Um, what does recruitment into the rebellion? I feel like was that a story that you would have wanted to see? You know, as a fan of A New Hope. Hmm. And so, in this sort of circumstance, it's fine. Uh, if it was a comic or a small book, that's fine too. Do we need a whole movie about it? Probably not. I felt like it was already stretched for Han Solo, who also was a TIE fighter pilot. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, I don't know. I mean, I mean, like, to me, I think Wedge, to some people, right? I'm not saying this was a bad episode, but I'm just saying, like, mm -hmm. to some people, this character means a lot more than Jam packing his entire rebel conversion story into a 20 minute animated short, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I, I just thought to myself, like, 
there's definitely Star Wars fans out there that are going to watch this and judge the show so hard because it fails <laughs> to deepen that character at all, right? Like it's that's, that's true. And I, I I felt like Wedge was too young here. Yeah. Like when we see him in A New Hope, which doesn't seem that far away. A New Hope, he seems like he's like 30. Yeah. Yeah, and he's like he, thir- yeah, at least. And then here he's like 16. <laughs> yeah, it's a little weird, right? I don't know. I just like to me I was just like this this failed on multiple levels to give me a convincing wedge Antilles origin story for the rebellion. Like he's such a prominent character in that final sequence. And he was a huge character in the old EU. He had a, he had yeah. a lot of like novels around him and stuff. Yeah. He was part of the, I think Bryce read a lot of that series. What's the name of it? X-Wing. Yeah, it was the X-Wing series. Was there like a subtitle to it? Like Dark Squadron or something? I can't remember. Yeah, it, yeah, something like that. But it, it's also it's also to be. I mean, we were just talking about the sequels. I mean, it's it's to be noted that Wedge Antilles showed up in Episode Nine. He was one of the. That's you know, right. He was on the Falcon. You know, they brought back Dennis Lawson to uh, to play him, and uh, I believe the actor is also the real life uncle of Ewan McGregor. That's right. Which is also kind of a big deal. So, like, the character is not exactly your average background Joe. You know, like, he's been... A, he's a prominent EU character. He's a prominent character within the canon. Uh, he's been included in multiple, maybe multiple comics they, and novels. I mean, maybe that's why they picked him over, like, like I mentioned, Biggs, or maybe over Porkins. Man, I would have loved if this episode was about Porkins. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I think that's what we need, a Porkins origin story. See, would that would have been better because then you can't really mess it up, right? Like, we're talking that's Wedge true. Antilles, and we got 20 minutes of him going from Imperial Cadet to Rebel Sympathizer, and he seems like a good guy, you know, like when we meet him and everything, but I don't know. I was just thinking to myself, like, ah, it just wasn't, wasn't convincing. They describe him. Sorry, go ahead. No, it just it just wasn't convincing. Like I just didn't really buy into his character in the entire episode. I was like, all right, he's a young, strapping lad who wants to join the rebellion, who's currently got a stupid job as a TIE fighter pilot that he just no longer wants to be in. And you know, there's no real like why, right? Like, there's no andor motive to him. There's no uh mm. grittiness. There's no like oh. the Empire killed my family and left me for dead or whatever, right? Like there's none of that. No. There's nothing like that. The only thing that comes up is he talks to Sabine and he says, like, I was hauling parts across the galaxy. And it was really boring. So I did this instead. But I don't like what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then meanwhile, in his head, he's like, oh, she's really hot. I think I'm going to think we're going to join her team. Yeah. <laughs> Do all the rebels in the rebellion look like that? Damn. Sign Damn. me up. Damn. Who's that? Oh, yeah. Check out the curves on that armor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right, that's enough. Check out that blaster. All right, uh, Pablo points of poodles. I'm giving this uh, one Pablo poodoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, He's thinking. 
I'm thinking I'll give it a half poodoo. Just a half poo. <laughs> half it's just hanging out. Hasn't dropped yet. Prairie dog in over here. Oh man. Uh, okay. All right. Season three, episode five, Hera's Heroes. Directed by Bosco Ng, written by Brent Friedman, October 15th, 2016 this, this on Disney play, XD. Is that a play on Hogan's Heroes? Hogan's Heroes? What? You never heard of Hogan's Heroes? Oh, no. It's like an old 80s show. Like like Hollywood Hogan? It's like, yeah, like Hulk Hogan, I think. Oh. Oh. Maybe it's named after that. I think it is. Oh. Hogan's Heroes, 1965 to 71. Oh, there you go. Sometimes, sometimes these... Oh, uh... no, that's definitely not Hulk Hogan. I thought it was. Oh, man. All right, well. Guest stars Matthew Wood, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, and uh, Greg Berger. And um, let's take a listen to this one and give it a talk. Hey Rebels fans, Andy from StarWars.com here again at Lucasfilm headquarters. This week we saw Hera go head to head with Thrawn in her own home and now I'm here to take you behind the scenes and show you how it all came together. So grab a priceless family heirloom and get comfortable in your chair. Rebels Recon starts right now. After saving Hera's father from the Empire, the ghost crew embarks on a mission to save a valuable family heirloom. That heirloom was important to my mother and I'm not ready to give it up yet. Sneaking into her childhood home, Hera and Ezra find the Kalakori, but not before being captured by Grand Admiral Thrawn. It is a pity our first encounter might well be our last. During a botched prisoner exchange, Hera destroys her family home in order to allow her new family to survive. I have you, I have my father, and I'm surrounded by my family every day. This week saw Hera reunite with her father, Champ Syndulla, to try and save her family's history on their home planet of Ryloth. I sat down with cast and crew to talk about what life was like during the Clone Wars for the Syndulas, why family is so important, and what it's like for our rebels to face Grand Admiral Thrawn. Watch. We learn a bit about Hera's history in Hera's Heroes. How much of that did you know already? I had certain inklings, clues that were in the Clone Wars. I could sort of thread things together, probably as most fans did, but it was really cool to learn more specific details about her history. I've heard the phrase, the person you should fear the most is the one with nothing to lose. So I thought it was interesting to find out exactly what she had lost and what was in her history to create a scenario in which she was so at the bottom of the barrel that she would risk everything for the rebellion. This episode gives a glimpse into Hera's childhood as they explore her home. Can you give us any more background on what her life was like before and during the Clone Wars? Her growing up was very challenging because her father was always in the middle of political battles and military battles and that's what she's seen. Part of the reason he was such a successful leader in wartime is that he was a leader in peacetime as well. So Hera grew up as the daughter of a politician and we we had this notion that her childhood home was almost like the mayor's mansion. Not only do you have this sense of violation that Hera's world is being invaded, but her childhood yeah. home has been invaded as well. She's probably 
as Thrawn was saying, forged by war. Her resilience and strength as a character is really evident when you kind of see where she came from. You understand, meeting her father, why she's so strong. Ezra escorts Hera through her home. What do you think that adventure means to those two characters? I feel like Ezra's relationship with Zeb, we've seen that grow and the brother bond that they have. Chopper's always with him. Sabine, they have that relationship. Kanan is almost like a pseudo father in a way. And Hera, that relationship hasn't, we haven't seen the full potential of that. And I mm -hmm. think that's a really cool thing in season three because it grows even more after that. But that was a big step and I think more of like a mutual respect for each other as well, because no one really knew Hera's backstory. Does the Calicori have any real world inspiration? Yeah, the idea of a heritage quilt, where each generation of a family will add a new square to it, yet it's all there for everyone to kind of look back on the past and get a sense of the personality of their ancestors. We wanted it to be connected to her mother because we put so much emphasis on her relationship with her father. The more that we realized that it was important to be a representation of family and that each generation could add to it. So as a result, it's something that Hera can then further customize as the series continues. The Rebels finally come face to face with Thrawn in this episode. What have they learned about their adversary up to this point? Really, they don't know what they're up against. Mm -hmm. They had a narrow escape with him and steps into shadow. I think the idea is, is he's not really well known and partially why is because any Rebel outfits that he's come into contact with, he's wiped them out. One of the key things about about Thrawn in our series is that for him, a victory is getting a piece of information they didn't have at the start. And that's a different victory scenario than our heroes are used to. They might think, hey, we got away, but they don't stop to think and realize what they've now told Thrawn right. about them. I really wanted Thrawn and Hera to be kind of adversaries. You have to understand the Thrawn-Hera dynamic, which is why he's brought into that episode. He has literally studied her and her family and her history. And because we're there in her home, he understands a lot about it. And it's one of my favorite scenes when he kind of talks about her. Thrawn's interest in art is something that's been part of his characterization since Legends. How is that going to play into the stories you're telling here in Rebels? I think one of the happy coincidences was that early on in season one, we knew that Sabine was gonna be an artist. When we brought Thrawn into the series, he's gonna to wanna to study everything that there is to know about our rebels, and Sabine is the one who's been leaving calling cards. There's an organic way to bring Thrawn into our stories by having him study Sabine's art, but also the art of Lothal. And there's plenty of artwork spread, and even in the Jedi Temple, there's the mm -hmm. ancient artwork. So there's lots of opportunities for Thrawn to examine art and use it to dissect our heroes in the series. All right. Uh, so this episode was interesting. A little bit more of Hera, which we don't normally get too much of, usually because yeah. she's behind the wheel of her ship. <laughs> yeah, right? it was really just that episode with the B-Wing, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was the first time we kind of got more in-depth story with her. And, uh, you know, it's kind of nice to see her and Ezra just kind of on their own, just sort of in a in a different sort of. Yeah, it's just I don't know. Like there, there's there's some situations that I think to myself, like, oh, we're so used to seeing all these characters together all the time. It's kind of mm -hmm. neat to see them not together and kind of like in in unique pairings. Right. Yeah, it's true, because we tend to just get the same groupings all the time. Right. Or it's usually. Ezra and Sabine, or Ezra and Kanan, or Ezra on his own. Or it's basically Ezra and people. Ezra. 
Yeah. Who's the main character again? No, I just, yeah, I mean, like, no, I, I see what you mean. Like, it, it's just one of those things I just thought to myself, like, oh, like, you know, like, it's not, it's not every day that we get Hera and Ezra as the main duo of an episode, right? And uh, much in the same way that, you know, I wouldn't expect, um, you know, to see Kanan and and Chopper kind of on their own for like an entire episode or whatever like that like again it was like it's just one right. of those like oh, you just don't really expect it but then it happens it's like oh that was cool like you just kind of saw new sides of both the characters no for sure and I thought it was interesting that this kind of bled into what we were talking about a few episodes back on the podcast we're talking about how uh, Hera would have grown up because we we're talking about how her father was like a, a general but because I, I was remembering back when we were talking about that I was remembering back to this episode I was trying to and it, it's having me question like her her heritage with her father because we really only knew him as like this war hero whatever but it seems like he actually was as they put it in the Rebels Recon, like a mayor or something, this town, they lived in luxury in this mansion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, like, I mean, she's technically, well, she's not really royalty, but she's she's definitely uh, privileged, you know, coming from the great general champs and sort of, right? Yeah, great general. But the house that they live in wasn't because he was a general, it's because he was a politician. So I find that very interesting that a politician would become a, a war general to begin with. Was he a politician though? I think like I think that was the whole thing though. Like in Clone Wars, he and uh, the senator of Ryloth were always kind of fighting it out, right? Yeah, I think he. Uh, well, at least that's what this Rebel Recon led me to believe is he was. They were some sort of political power before the war broke out. I hmm. think, like the first war, Clone Wars. Mm, interesting. Going back even uh, even further. <laughs> yeah, like probably not on the level of like a, a planet-wide politician, but maybe for like a local area, something, yeah. you know, something small over a small region or a town or something. Yeah. I liked uh, Ezra's helmet collection in the in the scout troop, you know, it reminded me uh it was it was kind of cool like that scout troop <laughs> that scout trooper at, at the um uh, that uh Zeb, you know, grabs the the helmet for the suit <laughs> he runs on the guy goes on the under the ship right yeah on his own like that was a terrible decision yeah <laughs> it's, it knocks him out hey kid you got this suit you got this helmet yet <laughs> like, no like all right knocked out he's like sorry the kid wants your suit <laughs> <laughs> that's a real friend right there yeah yeah that's a real friend right there it reminds me, though, that helmet for the Scout Trooper is coming out as a Hasbro, Hasbro Black Series helmet. And, uh, you know, I've got to pick one up. Is it, is it out already? Or it's, just, it's just coming out now? It's, it's just shipping. Reviews. Yeah, it's just uh, okay. it's shipping out. So, you know, I think it should be showing up on shelves over the next couple weeks. And, That's uh, cool. I didn't realize they're making this one yet. Oh yeah, it's definitely on my list. It's a it's a 40th anniversary Return of the Jedi, uh, reason to oh, make it, it. Oh, is it limited or is it because? Of no, that? no, I don't think it's limited. I think I think it it is this this year is 40, 40 years of Jedi. So 
I think the, in making it, I think it was sort of a, a way of uh, kind of helping promote the celebration of that film for 40 years. And, and they were probably looking for a new helmet to release anyways. That wasn't that another sense. Boba Fett variant. <laughs> so why didn't they do a snow trooper? Uh, I mean, like that it's cloth, right? So maybe, maybe, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. A snowtrooper, it's got like half cloth mask to it, half mm-hmm. hard helmet. So I don't know. Maybe they're just looking for something more more for the shelf that just kind of sits there. And I don't know. This way they get to do a bunch of variants though, right? They get to make Ezra's Sabinified version with all the pink and Should orange on it. Do that though? They didn't do his, his stormtrooper helmet, I don't think. That's true. But it won't be uh just just wait. Just wait for it. <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, uh, I'm sure at some point maybe we'll get it. I'll do the black version, I'm sure, the shiny black one, and yeah. then that's something I want to know. <laughs> I mean, there's a there's already a yeah there's already an Ahsoka variant of the Clone Trooper Phase Two helmet from that's season cool. seven finale. That's already floating out, out there. So and was it that's official Hasbro? Yeah. Mm, neat. Okay. Yeah. Zeb says he owes Hera when they choose to join her personal mission, but it really would have been better and more appropriate time to add in the line because of family. (laughs) Did you find that was a little odd that like, you know, he's like, we're going to go with you, Hera. We owe you. Right. I was like, what do you owe her? You guys are all rebels fighting the Empire. Like, well, like, you, you've saved each other numerous times. Like, what would you possibly owe her? I think it's that she brought them together, I guess. But maybe right, the family line would have been better. Yeah. It's just like, okay, like, why, why are you helping her on this mission? Because you're a family. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I just like, you don't need to owe her anything. Like, you guys, you know, I think like it was just one of those things I thought to myself. That line could have been so much better, and it would have been a perfect opportunity to pull a Dominic Toretto. It's like, we're going with you, Era, because we're family. Yeah. Oh, well, next time, I guess. Next time. <laughs> uh, I think this episode, even more than it was about Hera, I felt like it was really showing Thrawn. Yeah, yeah, Thrawn was... Um, you know, he was a good highlight of this episode. He definitely proves to be a more um, respectful enemy, at least. You know, he's got some honor about him. As mm-hmm. ruthless as he is, as ruthless as his tactics are, he still appreciates art and promises that Hera's Calicori will be safe. And, uh, you know, he definitely shows some unique sides of himself when he, you know, almost unleashes his anger at that very ignorant imperial yeah, officer. Yeah, that's right. We talked about that before, I remember, because it, it was it's very out of character for him to uh, break, uh, like, emotion and yeah. have, that, have that show, because he's usually a very reserved, very calculated person. And I, this is a, a long time ago now. When we, I think we first talked about it when it came out, this you and I 101, and I really didn't like that because it it it, it kind of broke who Thrawn was a bit, what he was from the novels. And I I think Dave Filoni specifically talks to the reason of this is it's, it's showing that uh, Thrawn still has some personal growth 
to do before we get to his place in uh, the post Return of the Jedi world. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's a good point. Um, and the post Return of the Jedi to have some development. Well, and and back then though, like we didn't realize that there were plans for that character, you know, in the post Return of the Jedi time frame. I mean, you going back to Star Wars Rebels, we didn't even know about. You know, this was before Disney Plus was even a, a thing. This was this was before Mandalorian existed. This was before anything in that time frame was being done. It was all the attention was on was well, it was on Rogue One in this year. But um mm-hmm. but I mean really it was in general, this was a Star Wars sequel kind of time frame, you know, time you know, sense of mind sort of thing, right? All the toys, all the action figures, all the books. And uh you know, to have an animated series that kind of takes place where it does and, you know, bringing in a character like Thrawn, uh, to me at the time, I always thought, well, maybe it's because there's no room for him where, you know, w- where the continuity is going. Maybe, that, maybe it just doesn't make sense to have that character exist between episode six and seven anymore. Maybe mm-hmm. this is Dave's way of kind of shoving him in the, in the canon where he yeah, can't so at least right he exists i yeah. guess for me i i always kind of kept the thrawn trilogy as canon because it was just so good <laughs> my head canon <laughs> the, the head canon it's yeah. like the plagueis novels there too i guess now it wouldn't really make any sense would it like the, the way that things are going now with thrawn and the shows and everything like that it's it's getting a little well, crowded i don't know uh it, it really depends i think on ahsoka whatever yeah. they do in that show yeah, it really does. It really does, for sure. Because it, I think if they were going to do a Thrawn trilogy recanonization, they'd have to fit it all in post Mando, right? Because that's where we're, I think the Ahsoka series takes place. Yeah, I I could see something like that happening. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But uh, my fingers are crossed. Definitely yeah, something we'll talk about, I think, when we watch Ahsoka and when we do those mm-hmm. after shows, we'll definitely be talking about this. Absolutely. Especially I early think in the part. Should we reread those novels just to see the, the connections? It's been a while. Yeah. That's a good idea, actually. I might do that as well. Um, Pablo points or Pudus? I like this one. Uh, Two seems a bit high. You get 1.5. We'll go, we'll go 1.8. 1.8 yeah. Pablo points. All right. Yeah, I'll go 1.5. Yeah. It was it was good. good. I liked it. You know, it's yeah. It's good <laughs> development. Like for me, it was mainly about showing Thrawn to the audience because if people hadn't read the books, I don't think they would really understand his character too well up to the this point. We're getting a much much better look at it. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. Yeah, it, it, definitely a better episode to highlight his character. Wonder if, uh, wonder if George Lucas liked this one. If he yeah, was here, he'd probably question. be like, um, "Yeah, what's wrong?" No, no, um, yeah, I liked it. That was good. Oscar, yeah, intense. yeah, you um didn't go too far in any place. No, it was. Kept on the wraps. <laughs> Is that back to when he was like, I may have gone too far a few places. Yep. 
when they did the Phantom Menace review. Oh man, yeah, yeah. The 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 Phantom Menace final cut, like first look. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so good. It's like people dying and then like Jar Jar like tripping on stuff and then <laughs> just all may over have, the place. May have may have gone a bit too far in some places. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say it anymore without smiling. Oh man, such a good line, classic uh, George. We we need to quote that. That needs to be on our button here. Yeah, hundred percent. That's gonna be on our soundboard next week. Yeah, yeah, it's gotta be done. <laughs> All right, season three, episode six, last one, and uh, this one's called "The Last Battle." Directed by Bosco Ng, written by Brent Friedman, October twenty second, twenty sixteen, on Disney XD. Guest stars Matthew Wood, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, and Greg Berger. Um, this is Rebels Recon. Let's take a listen. What's going on, Rebels fans? It's your internet pal, Andy Gutierrez, beaming at you over the airwaves of the Information Superhighway from inside Lucasfilm headquarters. This week, Rex finally got a little Clone Wars closure in the last battle, and now I'm here to take you behind the scenes. This is Rebels Recon. Kane and Ezra, Zeb, and Rex embark on a mission to raid an abandoned transport for supplies on Agamar, but soon discover they're not alone. You have been captured by the Separatist Alliance. Forced to play a war game in order to rescue Zeb, Rex must fight the Clone War one last time. Well, looks like we win. But when the Empire arrives, the droids are forced to work with the Rebels to hatch a successful escape plan. It was a victory. We all just won the Clone War. This week, Rex was forced to battle in the Clone Wars one more time to save his friends. I sat down with cast and crew to talk about what it was like bringing Rex back to the Clone Wars, whether or not he has closure on this chapter of his life, and how he's grown as a character. Check it out. Captain Rex returns to the Clone Wars in The Last Battle. Yes. What is it like bringing him back to the era of fighting with battle droids and the Separatists and the Republic? Bringing Rex back into a Clone Wars scenario is very surreal. He's done this so much that he's able to jump back into that, and as well as to sort of assist the others in setting up exactly what the deal is, because they don't understand what mm -hmm. this deal is. In The Last Battle, our heroes get to relive the Clone Wars a little bit. As a veteran of that show, what is it like for you to return to this era? Oh my gosh, it's like coming home. I developed in a series with Dave and George in the beginning, kind of taking a, a revisit to that was really awesome. It was so interesting to see battle droids again. There's that moment when stormtroopers are fighting battle droids mm -hmm. that this whole thing felt like, wow, we're actually doing this. It's something that you kind of wondered about but never actually got to see. Honestly, it felt the most like we were playing with toys from different toy lines <laughs> that we've ever had on this show. Rex is quite literally a relic of the Clone Wars. Do you think that this experience has given him much closure? I think absolutely. If you think about how the Clone Wars ended with Order 66, the clones never got a chance to finish their mission. Rex is such a good soldier that the idea that he never had a good sort of mission completion has got to be this hole in his life. The war was basically yanked from under him. I got to think that the way the clones are engineered, that's got to be something that hovers over their heads. How do you think Rex has grown since the last time he fought in a Clone Wars type scenario? He's got the full authority of his experience, but I think he's also more mellowed in sort of a personal way. There's more humanity to him in a way, I mm -hmm. think. Kanan also fought in the Clone Wars, but obviously had a very different experience. How can this more mature Kanan handle this experience differently? If anything, it gives Kanan an ability to look at his clone comrade as an equal. Mm -hmm. He's like back in the original Clone Wars, he was just a kid, and he was particularly betrayed by Order 66 and then ended up being hunted by his own clone officers. Kanan and Rex have learned to 
to be a team in season two. Mm -hmm. There was a time where that trust was zero and Rex has legitimately earned it over time. And it's probably the one thing that Kanan looks at from his past and doesn't hate seeing that as no longer representative of, of Depa's death as much as it is someone he trusts. And they really do become a good team. Ezra was born on the day that the Clone Wars ended. What has he learned from this experience? I think really this is a chance for him to step inside of Kanan's shoes and really understand what he went through. This experience gives Ezra some insight into why Kanan is resistant to war. This is something that really does mash you up and grind you up and have a really negative effect on your growth as a Jedi. The Clone Wars were a huge deal because it's like a history lesson. Ezra associates everything with Kanan because of him being a Jedi and how he sees things. Ezra naturally sees him in a similar way. And the Jedi's point of view on the Clone Wars is much different than a lot of other people's. Now that the war has finally ended for Kalani, mm -hmm. what's he gonna do? The idea of what people who were in the Clone Wars thought the Clone Wars were about after it ended is an interesting idea. Because we know that Palpatine slash Sidious was gaming the whole thing. And the whole purpose of the war was just to get him power. So you get someone who's really smart, like a tactical droid, surviving that situation, not shutting down, and having a couple of decades to think about it. I think that's really interesting. Kalani could hire himself out as an advisor to someone like the Huts. I also thought that once Kalani sees that the rebellion destroys the Death Star and starts actually making it a fight with the Empire, he might reconsider joining them. All right, so what's interesting about this episode is that they resurrect or, or bring back a, a tactical droid that we've seen before uh, by the name of Kalani. And uh, this is the same droid that showed up in the Onderon arc when uh, we saw the origins of Saw Gerrera, Lux Bonteri, oh. you know, taking helm there. It was the same tactical droid that was helping that, uh, that wannabe king that wannabe prince guy the young mm -hmm. hothead that wanted to execute the old actual real king right and he was that's in cahoots with dooku and everything that was the same tactical droid right there that's interesting because i didn't realize it was the same droid because you think oh it's just another one you don't think it's like a reoccurring character but i remember specifically seeing the faded gold paint on it which is which is an Onderon design mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah yeah, that's cool. That's I did not cool. put those pieces together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ezra's oldest joke in the book, who's Roger? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that was a good, like, kind of cringy chuckle moment. Oh, jeez, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I've had that conversation with way too many people. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, recycled since the 99. Uh, the Battle of Christophus' theme played through the background of this entire episode. Uh, very cool. Very cool to hear Kevin Kiner's theme song that we were all, um, you know, all uh, witness to in the theaters back in 2008 when the Clone Wars theatrical release got, uh, got released in theaters. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, the movie kicked off with that theme song, so it was kind of reminiscent of that. I feel like this whole episode was very saturated in nostalgia. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but for me, I hated it. Like, it was just... <laughs> I love the Clone Wars, man, and nothing will ever surpass that. No Rebels episode can ever try and bring back that same nostalgia unless you give me more of the same thing, right? And so I, to, to you, with it, what Pablo was saying, right? I felt like playing the two different toy lines. Yeah, you were, you were just angry that 
because new kid was playing with your old toys. Yeah, and the more just like, no, 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 those toys are in the wrong box. <laughs> it's mine. Yeah, you can't have those toys. No, I just, it, it was fine. It was just like, I, I just hated how, okay, like for example, at the very end of the episode, there's the most cheesy dialogue between Rex and Ezra. And Rex is like, Ezra, you single-handedly ended the Clone Wars. How did how did you know? <laughs> and meanwhile, he's just standing there, like playing Sherlock Holmes, right? While Kanan's like, you know, poor blind guy standing in the background, like think to himself, I lived through this. Like, you know, like I it just I don't know. I just feel like the whole thing was a little like just overly simplified and and just bad. You know, I just like, I was like, ah, oh, why did it have to end like that? I think you're just upset because Ezra is now the hero who ended the Clone Wars. Oh my gosh. You'll go down in history. So stupid, man. I mean, like, like, <laughs> it's canon. I shouldn't be mad about this. I know it's a kid's show, but like at the same time, I'm so furious. I'm just like, why would you even put Oh, tell me about it. Like, why would anyone put that in the script? It's like, what? Like, you're trying to pull someone's leg here. Like, seriously. I don't know. No, man. I, I kind of like the nostalgia of, like, seeing these these old droids. They're all kind of that was the That was cool. Just barely getting around, and they, uh, they've just been waiting. Like, they still think the war is going on. And then they just stumble, the, like the the crew, of the ghosts, just like stumble upon these old droids. I thought it was cool. I like that concept quite a lot. I think it's been played with a lot in like uh, like RPG games and stuff. So it was really cool seeing that kind of take it to the screen. Yeah, yeah. I that, will say that was. Neat. I am curious how they were able to avoid the the shutdown, like because the, they didn't really explain that. No. Yeah. I mean, most so most battle droids are all operated by control battle stations, and um, I guess if there is no orbit orbiting battle station, then uh, they're controlled by something else, and it's possible. Were they in it? Was that a control battle station that was crashed that they were all fighting in? It was, yeah, it was, and I think I think when it comes to that group, like maybe that had something to do with it. Maybe maybe there was still. A lot of surviving droids on board you know the tactical droid he operates independently they were stranded on this planet it's uh it's actually worth knowing that onderon is in the same uh, system i believe and agamar is is you know not too far away and uh you know it was just like it was like okay yeah i can buy that like you know agamar by the way agamar is an eu planet um, there's a whole profile drawn up on Agamar from other Star Wars stories, you know, back in the old expanded universe days. And uh, this episode is kind of paying tribute to that as well. But I thought, you know, it's just overall, like, it had some cool stuff about it. But I think the worst part is, and let me play it for you. That an army of Jedi, clones, and droids couldn't find the middle ground, but, but you did. Rex, all I did was point out that none of you were meant to win. All I <laughs> figured it out. Yeah, Rex, all I did was point out that you were so bad at your job <laughs> that it took me to you figure it out. Pieces. If only there was an eight-year-old kid around when you were starting the war. I know, right? Yeah. Could put it all together for you. 
outwitted the Jedi Council, all of the uh, the Demoidians and the Trade Federation and the whole Separatist Alliance. Even out, well, no, du- Dooku knew. Dooku was probably the one other person, maybe Maul. <laughs> Point out that none but of everybody you else, Ezreal wanted him, and we needed to hear it. Agreed. I am satisfied if you are, Captain. I am. Very good. Well, I'm not. <laughs> he's a commander, not a captain. Oh man, I just—I don't know. And here's here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Here, just just take a take a listen to this. Malfunction. If they hadn't, we'd be goners. The boy is correct. The droid army would have prevailed. So technically, victory is ours. No, it's not. I never really thought about it. I never asked. I know the Jedi were wiped out. The clones were decommissioned and the droid army was just shut down. The Clone War ended, but why? If none of you won, who did? Uh, the Empire. Zeb, that's right. How did you know? <laughs> it's like, how did you know? What? Like, what kind of what kind of answer is that? You know, like Zeb's like, uh, the Empire. Like, I don't know. I feel like we're playing SpongeBob and Patrick over here. Like, uh, the Empire. <laughs> That's right. But how did you know? <laughs> well, I mean, take a look out the window. I mean, you know. Who's who's in power now? It's just I don't know, man. It's just like this whole the whole ending of this episode just sucked. But it you was were, cool. You were really lost though. What was the that? Jedi. Oh jeez, yeah. I mean, like, okay, the, the like the ending of the episode when the Empire shows up, like them fighting all the droids and stuff, like that was cool. But like, uh, other than that, like whoever wrote this, I'm looking at you, Brent Friedman. Uh-huh. I don't know what you were thinking, man. I mean, like, I don't know. the The episode pays homage at the very end uh, with a uh, with the Star Wars: The Clone Wars style logo um, in the closing credits, and uh, it's got the same theme mixed in with the Rebels theme as Clone Wars theme. You know, it's kind of like mixed up at the very end there to pay homage a little bit. But it was just like I could see where they were trying to do, but I just feel like it was very badly executed. Like the whole, yeah. the whole thing, it just kind of rubbed off on me as a bit too cheesy. And I don't know. That like whole, that campy ending was kind of was rough. The yeah. Was, was, was okay. It was kind of funny though, because they're basically doing like a battle reenactment, like a civil war re- reenactment or something. Yeah. Except with, Live fire. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. You know, what was also kind of like, kind of stuck out as a sore thumb to me was now that we've seen what Rex has been through after the Clone Wars, because now we're getting the Bad Batch. So if you throw that into the continuity of things, you know, like he knows that it was all Palpatine, right? Like he know he was there. He was there when the when the Bad Batch admitted defeat on themselves and said, it was Palpatine all along. And, you know, like, it was all our fault. <laughs> and all this and that, right? Just, right. Weren't we making jokes about that in that, in that, in that after show for, uh, Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. It was something like that. Anyways. Yeah. Anyways, it, it, like what I'm saying is we've got a lot more story now 
And this just did not hold up at all. Just because of how yeah. oversimplified it was, it just did it no favors. Like, I said, if the problem was it was a Disney XD thing, I think, where they, they had to kind of cram it all in at the end. Yeah. And it just came across as too cheesy. I know, but like, like, yeah, but like, it's just one of those, like, like who even asked that question, right? Like every soul in the galaxy knows the Empire won. And Did so, like, if Kanan was the one who was saying that instead of Ezra, so it wasn't some eight year old kid, yeah, like, like Kanan's silent through the whole thing, right? And, and like, I don't know, it's just like, like Zeb He's saying it's like, uh, the Empire, like, I don't know. I like, I, I'd like to think that you're saying it sarcastically just to, you know, make everyone sound stupid, but it's like, we he know all probably this. just Patrick Slow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Oh, uh, SpongeBob. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just did come across a bit like that, if I'm honest. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I was just like, oh, man. Okay, well, I'm going to give this one a big fat two Pablo poodoos. Oh, man. You're just dumping all over I'm this just thing. Cr- I'm just dumping all over this thing. You did not like this guy, this one episode at all. Man, Ezra single-handedly ending the Clone Wars and, and <laughs> stupid questions <laughs> and stuff. Like, Man, it was just bad. Like, at the very end, like, that just killed it for me. Like, it, it was cool to see droids again. You know, that mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. But, yeah. I mean, like, there's there's been some pretty, pretty mediocre... Star Wars stories, you know, recently the Mandalorian episode that that featured an entire droid bar, you know, it was cool to see the droids again, but like at the yeah. same time, like the actual episode itself was nothing it's special. The Lizzo, Lizzo Jack Black yeah. episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, in my opinion, in my opinion, it wasn't anything special, and and I just like, you know, this is kind of like because. You're the most nostalgic for Clone Wars of everyone on the podcast. Oh, I totally am. I totally am. <laughs> you hate all the episodes that have to do with the prequels. I think that's just it, right? Because, like, I don't want some crumbs thrown my way. Like, I want the real deal. Like, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm a Clone Wars fan to the, to the, to the freaking core, right? And I, I don't know. I just, like, to me, that just, this just rubbed off as, like, a kind of a, a small backhand in the face, like here, here's the end of the Clone Wars. The show is canceled. Suck on this, you know. Right. Like, and and it's still bitter to this day. Hero now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's your hero now, Ezra Bridger, ending the Clone Wars. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. It was just like it was just a little much. It was just a little much for me to take, all in one episode. Maybe if they diced it up into two, it would have been a bit more bearable, but. I don't know. Oh, one was well, enough. Uh, one thing that I thought was actually pretty interesting was when the stormtroopers show up, and they're like, "Oh man, is that what I think it is? Is that a B one battle droid?" And one of the other troopers goes, "Yeah, you know the drill." And they all start shooting them. And yeah. The fact that he says, "You know the drill," really caught my ears because it makes me wonder that has this happened like on, enough that they're uh, common with like what they're supposed to do in that circumstance. How many yeah, I think it have, is. Has the Empire come like the, how many other battle droids are, were still active that the Empire's had to just wipe out? Well, I know that from the recent Jedi Survivor video game, like 
you know, battle droids stuff been showing up more and more in certain locations. And uh, from similar situations, from either reprogrammed, from scal- you know, scavengers reprogramming them or, um, you know, downed Trade Federation star cruisers that still have those droids operating. And, you know, it's evident to me that this is a story. It's a big galaxy. It was a big war. I think the Clone Wars was really sort of the... And this is kind of why my argument prevails with being the, the galactic civil war is not really anything crazy. Like the real galactic civil war was the Clone Wars. And it's because of the galaxy was so affected, you know, by everything, right? You know, there's, there's, there's scars of it everywhere that, that we see in the original trilogy that we see later on. And, um, you know, that's really the story that kind of begins all of this, all of this madness. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's not super far-fetched. I mean, it was one of Palpatine's first orders as emperor, you know, execute Order 66 and shut down all the battle droids. All, all droid units must shut down. That was, like, one of his first commands. So I think it's, you know, something that maybe the very earliest of stormtroopers were probably instructed to do was, hey, if you're on a planet and you're, if you're deployed somewhere and you run into some, some old separatist B1s or whatever. Just just shoot them down. They're supposed to be inactive. You know, get to it. Makes sense. Wipe, wipe them out. Yeah. All of them. Wipe them out. Uh, it was uh, it was a cool to see Rex uh, take a few shots in this episode and him oh, saying, yeah. uh, Gen 1 armor always holds up. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I, I wouldn't have expected the Phase 2 armor to be so crap then. Yeah, I guess it was. I mean, like again, though, we're transitioning towards stormtrooper level crappiness. Yeah, but you think you're in the height of the war, you wouldn't give everyone worse armor. I think that's just it, right? Like you would think that, and I would think that too. But at the same time, the Republic was stretched thin for resources, and um, right. But why would they make everyone else change? Why would you just not let the people who already have the good armor keep it? Well, I think that's kind of why. Rex has those soldering marks for, you know, he's gone through the effort of keeping as many of the OG elements as possible because, uh, did he, did he switch out the torso though? Cause I thought he, he did he yeah, he, everything phase two, except the helmet was modified. The helmet is modified, but there's also soldering marks on his chest on oh, his, uh, he, on his left and right sides. Yeah. I missed that. Yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of cool that for him to kind of, you know, he, well, I mean, we've seen him take maybe a hit, hit or two before for sure. But um, in this respect, you know, he kind of admits he's like, yeah, yeah, Gen 1 armor. You know, this, this is the real deal. <laughs> so cool to, cool to finally get that in canon, you know what I mean? Because I think it's always been sort of speculation. Like, Oh, maybe the armor just got worse as time went by. You know, they got cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Empire made it super cheap. And then, uh, you know, that's how they started losing to sticks and stones and Return of the Jedi. But... Uh, no, see, that, that part all makes sense. Yeah. Hmm. Like, resources get thin and get cheaper. Like, because uh, you don't have as much money to spend on it, right? Yeah. yeah. Just push it farther. Yeah, and then you get George saying, like, "Yeah, that's how um, yeah, I'll tell her they get beaten to a bunch of bunch of teddy bears." Yeah, the armor's too cheap. 
Too cheap. Yeah, that's cheap. What is this? Like, uh, like Disney XD. <laughs> hey, oh, shots man. fired. Shots fired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean a Disney XD. Disney Plus is better though. All right, um, let's uh, let's give this puppy some Pablo points or poodoos. Uh, I think I already gave my score. I didn't hear yours though. Um. I will give it one pop a point because I, I I thought it was kind of fun. I like seeing everything again. the The worst part was definitely that Ezra line. <laughs> that was really bad. The Ezra stuff was was bad through the entire episode, man. Like yeah. he even messed up the whole the whole plan. <laughs> he did That's nothing true. good in this entire episode. He was just a pain. Oh yeah, you're right. And then then Rex had to chew him out. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, yeah, your actions cost the lives of our brothers, you know. Joe, take a seat. <laughs> uh, but it, it, yeah, it was just, I don't know, man. Like the entire episode, he was just being a pain. He was just being a nuisance and a, and a thorn in my backside, you know, just in my head. I was like, oh, man, stupid kid. Like, just when I thought he was cool, he, he goes back to his old self again. And uh, there we have it. But yeah, okay. Well, I'm glad it's given some love. I'm glad you're, you're the one around here to appreciate it. That's cool. Um, I, just, I don't know. I thought it was really cool seeing leftover Clone War stuff. That's really what it came down to. That's that's what I appreciate about it, though. I mean, like that's what I do like about it. I mean, as far as the bad elements goes, that really kind of it almost negated all the stuff I liked about it, and the bad stuff really stuck out to me as like, oh man. This is this has got to be the worst of the season. <laughs> As a Clone Wars fan, I'm like, man, seeing it disgraced like that. Oh, jeez, I'm sorry, Dave. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't do it. Uh, but yeah, no, it's it's. Uh, do you it's think cool. Story Group had a lot to do with this one? I think no. that might have been the issue. I think they didn't have anything to do with this one. I think that's why it's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just cracking jokes at this point. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we, <laughs> we should probably wrap it up. Um, but, uh, yeah, as always, you know, uh, thanks so much for, for coming on and uh, chatting to all our listeners about, uh, about Star Wars Rebels here. What, what do we got around the corner? We've got the next four on uh, Rebels Talk, episode 13. We'll be going over Imperial Super Commandos, Iron Squadron, the Win Wincathu job. And oh, an inside man. man. That's the next up. Get Phil on for Iron Squadron. Oh He's man! Call him up. I got like nothing to say about that one. But. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a. I think it's another. Uh, it's another last battle for me. Uh, speaking of which, the last battle named uh, prominently word for word after the final book in the Narnia series. I don't know if that title was taken directly from that or not, but uh, you know we know Dave's a big big Tolkien fan maybe maybe he's got some C.S. Lewis ties as well so there you have it um that's everything any last words mm, I hope the next four are better yeah. yeah I hope so too <laughs> alright man <laughs> we'll catch you in the next one we'll see you out there keep flying All right, thank you again to all our participants in the Orbit Key giveaway for the Retro Series, and congrats again to Alex McKay, uh, your order. 
is on the way. And uh, to those of you who have tuned in to the podcast so far and are still listening, thank you so much for, well, not only tuning into our Star Wars podcast, but for making your way this far into the episode. And we would absolutely appreciate a five-star rating if you have a few seconds to just hit that on Spotify. That would be amazing. And uh, there is a Q&A thing now as well. So feel free to fill one of those out and uh, hit submit on Spotify. We'll do our best to answer any that we get. And uh, looking forward to hearing anybody who wants to get in touch with the podcast. All our socials are in the description below of every podcast episode. Subscribe to us on the YouTube channel and join the Discord. May the Force be with you. And we'll see you in the next episode of Star Wars Escape Pod.